Um, can I just say, before I start speaking, I just really want to say an enormous thank you to everybody. Uh, thank you for your welcome into Trinity. Um, it's great to be finally with you. And thank you so much for the way that you have embraced Burundi and prayed and supported. Um, I have so valued it and appreciated it. And um, I'm really looking forward to what God will do in the days ahead, but to just getting connected here and getting to know you all. So thank you so much and I just wanted to say a particular thank you for uh, everybody that prayed and messaged um, a few weeks back when I was just coming back from Burundi some of you may remember that Steve led you to pray and um, the timing of that was phenomenal um, Steve didn't know at the time but I had just come out of Burundi that morning I was in Nairobi and we'd had a number of incidents and quite big threats and security challenges and I kind of got out of Burundi and I was a bit like oh my gosh, you know, kind of. And then messages began to ping in. And by the time the third one came in, I thought, hmm, I think Steve's up to something. And I, mess <laughs> I, me I messaged him and like, what are you doing? It's good. <laughs> but um, it really strengthened me. And it was just absolutely amazing because it was like God was like, no, I've got you, kind of keep going. So thank you so much, everyone. I really appreciate it. Um, right. Um, okay. So... Nehemiah. So we are continuing our series on Nehemiah today. Um, we're going to have a brief look at the storyline of Nehemiah, and then today we're going to be focusing on Nehemiah, Nehemiah 1 specifically. Um, we're going to look at Nehemiah's prayer and the significance of the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the covenant promises that God has laid out. Um, we're going to be just saying, God, what is it that you want to say to us this morning through this story? I really do believe that God wants to come and encounter us today, to stir us, to awaken us, and to empower us by his spirit. And uh, yeah, just looking and saying, God, what does all this mean for us here in Trinity Church London? And I'm just going to be sharing a little bit of my own story as well. So, as you know, Steve started us off last week in this series. He set the contact text for us. Oh, sorry. And he gave us some of the history leading up to when we meet Nehemiah in BC 445. Um, we heard about how the Babylonians had invaded and captured the city of Jerusalem. Most of the population had been dispersed and exiled. And we learned that by the time we meet Nehemiah in BC 445, the temple in Jerusalem had already been rebuilt, but the, the rest of the city, including the walls, were lying in ruins. And as Steve uh, explained to us, he picked up the story where we meet Nehemiah, the cupbearer, serving in the palace of the king in Persia, which is modern-day Iran. So I just want us to read together Nehemiah chapter 1. Um, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in, the, in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there is the province who had survived the exile and is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. 
As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and we have not and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uppermost, uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So very briefly, Nehemiah was himself a Jew in exile. And as we've heard, he was visited by his brother Hanani and other men from Judah. And um, he asks about the Jews who've returned to there from captivity and how things are going in Jerusalem. Nehemiah learns that the people there are in great trouble and the gates and the walls of Jerusalem are in ruins. And as we know, this troubles Nehemiah greatly. He weeps, he mourns, he fasts for days and he prays. Now he knew that God was calling him to rebuild the walls. In chapter 2, Nehemiah refers to how he'd not told anyone about the plans that uh, God had put in his heart. So he clearly knew that uh, God had a plan for him. He knew he was called to rebuild the walls and to reform the community. And as the story progresses um, in the other chapters, we see that Nehemiah continues to serve the king in the palace. But some months after um, we've just read about, he has the moment where he gets to act. The king asks him, why is he so sad? Nehemiah explains how he's burdened by the plight of his people and Jerusalem being in ruins. And Nehemiah asked the king for his permission to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the city walls. He's given permission, he's given official letters, royal letters, to help him make the journey. And uh, he's also given some timber to help with the rebuilding. And so he arrives and sets about the task of inspecting the wall, and making plans for how it will be rebuilt, and gathers people to begin the task. So let us look for just a moment. Why is it that the rebuilding of these walls was so significant? Practically, 
the walls of a city would protect the city. They were a form of defense. Um, I did have a picture, but unfortunately we can't get it up. But um, if you've never Googled the walls of Jerusalem, it's worth doing because they're not just, it's not just a, a little brick wall that we might imagine, but they were huge, thick walls um, where people, where there would be watchmen posted on them, there were watchtowers and it, and this wall encompassed the temple. And uh, of course the temple, um, the Jews believed, was the dwelling place of God. And a city could only prosper if the walls were in place. Prosperity for the Jewish people um, was such an important issue because it meant the blessing of God. And with the walls in ruins, they would not be able to prosper and they would not know the blessing of God. So there wasn't just a practical application of the rebuilding of the walls, but very much a spiritual one. The Jews were not keeping the covenant that God had given them through Moses, where they had been told to follow no other gods but, um, but him, where they'd been told to keep relationship with him and that they were told that then they would know the presence of God among them, that they would then know his blessing and he'd promised that they would prosper and they were warned of the consequences of not following God's commands and decrees. They would not prosper if they did not follow these commands and decrees, if they didn't keep the covenant, and they would be dispersed around the nations. And as we know, of course, that is exactly what happened. I think it can be easy for us to judge and to think, oh, how could they do that when they, everything was so clearly laid out? But don't we do the same often? We know what God is saying and we, we don't always obey. So, um, they didn't follow God. They were not obedient to his commands and decrees. They worshipped idols. They abandoned their devotion to God. They were not faithful to the covenant. But God had said, and we read this in Deuteronomy 30, he'd given a promise that if people returned to him, that this covenant would be restored, that what was broken would one day be restored, that he would restore fortunes, that he would gather them back, that they would be more prosperous and more numerous than before. So there was this real sense of recovery and restoration. And in Nehemiah's prayer, which we've just read, that is what he was referring to. He was referring to this sense of um, restoration that is, uh, is promised in, in Deuteronomy. And a sign of the recovery is that the people would be brought back into the land and would be more prosperous and more numerous with a new heart and a new love for God. And there's a real sense of just a fresh sense of wholeheartedness towards God, a people fully giving themselves to God. And um, so there was this promise that if they came back under the blessing of God, they would be restored in relationship with him. Now, of course, we know that there's a real prophetic edge to this promise, which we see as being fulfilled in Jesus. But for the Jewish people living under the old covenant, the temple was the dwelling place of God, and they were looking for physical recovery of the city of Jerusalem. So this placed huge significance on the city, huge significance on rebuilding the walls. It wasn't just for safety, but it was very much symbolic of the recovery of this relationship with God that they had lost. 
And so it's not surprising when you look at the big picture of things that there was huge opposition to this. But Nehemiah continued and he persevered. And we know that the wall was built in 52 days, um, which is actually really remarkable uh, when it had been broken for over 140 years. And uh, last week, Steve uh, was talking, I wasn't here, but I watched him online, and uh, he talked about moments in God, moments when everything changes. And he said, this gives us hope. We know that God can change things in a moment. And this was definitely one of those moments for, um, for Nehemiah and, and for the Jewish people where God broke in using Nehemiah to respond. Nehemiah rose up and said, no, I, I have a, a mission here. God has called me to do this. And so we see that the story goes on, that the wall was rebuilt, the people were renewed in their faith and the community was reformed as people turned back to God and his ways. It certainly wasn't all plain sailing. Um, people still turned away from God, um, but Nehemiah stayed very committed to seeing the people um, follow God and keep his ways. And these things will obviously be talked about much more um, in the days ahead. But I think it's important for us to, to note today, Nehemiah was faithful. He remained faithful to the call, even in the face of great discouragement and opposition. So what we have is a story of rebuilding what's been torn down, restoring what's been lost and broken, repenting and returning to God. And this, of course, is God's heart for us individually, that we will know him, that we are redeemed and saved. And it's God's heart for London and indeed for every town, city, village and nation, which should be exciting for us. Amen. <laughs> So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us individually and what does it mean for us corporately? Nehemiah was an ordinary man, but he was working in a position of influence. He served the king faithfully and he was trusted. And I think that's an important uh, thing for us to grasp here. Nehemiah may not have felt he was doing anything particularly for God, as it were. So often we, we spiritualize things and he may have thought, I'm just doing this job. It's an important job to make sure that the king doesn't get poisoned and, and advising the king. But he may have felt, I don't know, that actually I'm not particularly doing a big work for, for God. But actually he was being faithful and he was earning the trust of the king. Um, when we look back at the story, we, we obviously, we, we kind of know the end, and so we see it in a different way, and we see how God had positioned Nehemiah for purpose. I wonder what Nehemiah thought at that time when he was in that position leading up to when this thing happened. Did he know that he had this big call on him? I don't know. But I think so often we can disqualify ourselves and uh, we think that we don't really have anything to offer and I'm just in a secular job or whatever. But actually, I think we, we need to see God has positioned each and every one of us for purpose. So even though Nehemiah himself um, had been exiled, God had a plan and God had a man. And God still has a plan 
and he still has a man and lots of women too. And um, of course, it is the same for us. Um, but I think, I really think that because we don't know what's ahead of us, we can sometimes forget that we are in a story too. We can forget that actually we are in significant days. And maybe if we knew what the story was further down the line, we'd be like, oh, okay, now I've got to really make sure I keep focused on God, that my devotional life is strong, that I'm being faithful where I am. All the things that we kind of believe in, but we can lose sight of when we get consumed by day-to-day -day life because it doesn't feel very glamorous, does it? Whatever, whatever we're doing. Um, but we are part of God's story. And I really, the, one of the main things I felt God wanted to do in us today was to, for us to be awakened to know that we matter, that each and every one of us has, um, is, has a call of God on us. And it will be different things for different people. But we're not to forget that right now, here and now, wherever we are, we have been positioned for purpose. So I wonder in a few years' time, even when we look back on this and we'll be like, oh, God, you remember back in, in May when we were just like a few months old as Trinity Church and we had no idea what, what God had in store. But right now, I think we need to be expectant and anticipating that and believing it. Because actually, if we don't, then we're really not being as effective as we could be for God. And we will, I believe we can miss the, the purposes that he has for us. If we're not going to rise up, God will go and use others instead. And we miss out on the privilege of being part of what he wants to do here. Ephesians uh, 2, verse 10, um, if I can find it. Um, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the truth, isn't it? And we don't always believe that, but if we're not believing it, actually we're be believing a lie of the enemy. And so I believe God wants to really come and empower us today and for each and every one of us not to disqualify ourselves and also not to compare ourselves from, to, to one another. And um, I, often, I often find it really hard because people make assumptions that because I'm working in another nation that, you know, oh, that's so much more significant. And I don't believe that's true. We're all equal before God and we're all called with a different purpose. And we have different uh, skills and different gifts and different experiences that, that God uses. And God's not interested in how the world may measure it, but God is interested in our hearts. And actually, will we be faithful in the day to day when nobody else is watching? Will we act righteously in our workplace? Will we demonstrate integrity? Will we be a salt and, and, and will we be salt and and light? Will we bring glory to him? Because that's ultimately what we're we're here for, that he may be glorified. We're here to see him glorified. And every step of obedience and every time we're kind to someone and every time that we're showing people um, love, we, we're representing God to them. We have the privilege of being image bearers. 
and you know I just think uh, even just coming in on the on the train this morning and you're like wow if Jesus was on the train imagine kind of you know imagine if he was physically on that train like what the reaction would be of people around him and yet we get to represent him we're there empowered by his Holy Spirit and we can bring love and we can show kindness and we can do things that are different to the world because of because of God in us and we get to show Jesus to people of course we know we're not perfect we're broken but we are in the process of being conformed that we may represent him even better it's such a privilege to be image bearers let's not downplay how God has made us we have the unique privilege of representing him in a way that no other living being does we're the only ones created in his image so we do need to know how God sees us we need to believe it and I think we then need to act on it it's not enough just to keep things in our hearts we need to know that we are positioned for purpose and then get ready for when God shows us what it is that he wants us to do as we've said our lives are significant I think one of the other things that can disempower us is we can just look at all the bad news and we're constantly hearing of the challenges and we see um, all the division and the disaster and the brokenness and the hatred and the crime and everything else that we know is going on in the world. And when we look at those things, you know, it's easy to think, oh gosh, it's such a mess. Let's just retreat into my own little corner and it can just be me and God or me and my little, you know, community group or whatever. And or we don't see who God is and we're not really believing who he is and the purpose that he has for us to see his kingdom come on earth. And I'm often struck, we've been really challenged on this in, in Burundi. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We can sometimes get into this mentality that we're here to be saved and praise God, obviously, for salvation. And we want to see others saved. But it doesn't end with salvation. That's the beginning because God wants to see his kingdom come here on earth, that his, the dominion of King Jesus would expand. Mm. And in every area of society that we would start to see his rule and his reign. And that means it's every single one of us. You know, those that are at the school gates, in schools, colleges, businesses, financial institutions, transport systems, wherever it is that God has put you, we each and every one of us have a, have a mission field and each and every one of us has a sphere of influence. And some may be more frontline than others, but as, a, as we said, that's, God doesn't judge value on that. God want, has put us in the place for a reason. He knows us, he knows how he made us, he, he knows the life experiences that, that, um, that we have. He's gifted each and every one of us. This morning in the prayer meeting, um, somebody prayed about things being fanned into flame. And it's just like, I felt that as I was preparing, that actually we've got so many dormant gifts among us. Um, and, you know, some people know what they are, some people don't. And for various reasons, we, we don't use maybe all that God has given us. But um, I think we need to let God come and shake us up and let us 
let us be free and unbound from the fear or fear of man or fear of approval or whatever it is that's that's holding us back and let us be faithful with what God has has put in us and puts before us as well and as we were as we are faithful then we will see God multiply it and we will see his rule and we will see his reign come. And I was thinking it would be great actually if we could um, gather some good news stories. You know those really faith building stories that you never hear on the news but you sometimes stumble across on Facebook or whatever. Like I read recently that um, one of the biggest moves of God that is going on at the moment is in, in the world is in Iran. That's amazing. I didn't know that. I, I don't know. I think I read it in Open Doors or something. And I was like, that's staggering. But we can so easily think, oh, gosh, you know, everything's dark. And, and actually, God is on the move. And I think we need to encourage one another and strengthen one another with um, stories of what God is doing. And then we need to, as Nehemiah did, we need to know the word of God. We need to know the promises of God. We need to remind ourselves of who God is and see God bigger than we see the problems around us. And when we get his heart and his perspective, imagine, I just think it's so exciting because I'm like, imagine even the impact of however many people are in, in, in this room that we rise up like this mighty army, which is how God sees us. And we're like, actually, yes, I am going to go and play my part. And it's not just a leadership thing. You know, it's not just for me in Burundi or other people called in other nations. God's call is not for, for a, a, a select few, for those that we think are very spiritually mature and, and all the rest of it. It's for each and every one of us. Um, we have talked already quite a lot about how with Nehemiah, his... his uh, passion was the thing that activated him the fact that God he had this kind of sense of of being moved emotionally that he wept and he mourned and and God was at work in his heart that came before the action did and um, and I think just in off the back of what I've just been saying about things that God has put in us I just feel like sometimes we can shut down emotionally and it can be really painful because it's like I, d I don't want to feel the pain of the person who's on the side of the street who's homeless or the person that's bound in addiction or, or whatever it may be you know we we are bombarded with as, a, as, a, as we said bad news and we're bombarded with stories of hardship and and pain and you know around us in our family situations and work situations we all know people that are are going through hardship and and uh, really uh, heartbreaking situations and we can all I think have a tendency to think oh, I just don't want to engage with that it's too much it's it's emotionally draining but I think God would want to challenge us again. Daniel said when he spoke to us the other week, he talked about in this new era that we've heard a lot about for, for regions beyond that one of the marks of this new era actually will be a sense of discomfort and of, and of being prepared to, to say, actually, this isn't all a bed of roses. 
there is going to be hardship and the need for sacrifice and counting the cost. It's going to be uncomfortable, but we want to be motivated by who God is and that he is worthy of glory and knowing that actually he has made a promise and he will bring change and we get the privilege of getting caught up in that. Yes, there will be trials, but there will also be great joy as well. Um, in Burundi, a few months back, we, um, we were in one of our communities, we were meeting with our leaders and they told us that three people in the community had died. And, uh, and they kind of said it in quite a matter of fact way and, and we stopped them and we're just like, hang on a minute, what happened? So-and-so had malaria, she couldn't get treatment, she died. So-and-so had typhoid, he died. A child had died because they got an infection and they were not strong enough because of malnutrition. And my heart just, I just felt angry inside. And, and when they said, it's just how it is here, you know how it is here. We're in this poor nation. And, and I just felt like this thing inside me. And I'm like, no, this isn't okay. But I felt overwhelmed by the need um, you know, Burundi is one of the poorest countries in the world. It's currently the hungriest nation in the world. It's one of the least developed nations. And we are surrounded by need. And in the past, I have wept over Burundi, but I felt like my heart had actually got hardened because of the constant need. And actually, I wasn't seeing situations like Jesus does. And I... Um, I made a decision that we were going to, our team, we were going to go around the community and we we're just going to visit our friends as we do. They don't have homes, so they may be sheltering under bits of cardboard or metal or in partly built houses. Some are just on the streets. They are literally living in the, in the mud and the dust. And, um, but they're, they're all in one area. And we, um, we went to visit them and we went asking God to give us his eyes and his heart, and I tell you, the difference was phenomenal, but it was painful. And, you know, I don't want to put the, uh, the thing on, oh, well, it was so painful for me because our friends are living in destitution. You know, that is what's sad. It's not that I was sad. It's, it's what they were living in that breaks God's heart. But I and my team, we were like, we were just like, God, we want, you know that song we sing, break my heart with what breaks yours, everything I am for your kingdom cause. And, and you know, it's like, actually, we have, to, we have to allow ourselves, we have to say yes to God, to, that, we, that we will allow him to, to let us see with his eyes as we're going around, to see the brokenness, to feel the pain and not to, to pull away from it. Because I think like Nehemiah, that is then what motivates us to act. And uh, I, um, I found after that had happened in the community, we went back to meet with the leaders. I couldn't even talk. And I'm, you know, I've been in Burundi for years and, I, and I've seen it before, but something happened that day that, that changed. And when I got back and I was telling people about it afterwards and it was like I would, I would crack when I spoke about it. And I knew that God had done something in my heart. 
and you know we're always looking at God how do, what do we do how do we lift people up we don't want to create dependency you know do we say that we're going to rent homes for this whole community is that you know and I, and I just felt through that, that that God kind of spoke to me through two, two scriptures the one in Matthew 25 that says whatever we do for the least of these we do for him and um, and it's like actually it's just really simple sometimes we overcomplicate stuff but when God spoke that it was kind of like yeah it's not wrong it is not wrong to to, to help our friends in in destitution and people were saying well you know don't you think that you you need to have um, sustainability and how are you going to sustain helping this and it's like you know what actually our part is to act and God's part is to work out how we do it and to trust him to provide and yes we don't have the budget and we don't have the money coming in on paper but that is not going to stop us and that's just an example from Burundi but for all of us in our situations there'll be similar things and things that that can pull us back and we get complicated and it's like actually let's bring it back to let's love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and let's love one another and if we do that that will make a massive impact before we even do anything else and the other verse I felt God spoke to me that day was um, about speaking up on behalf of those who have no voice that's in Proverbs 31 and, and I felt God spoke to me very specifically that a time is coming when we will uh, get to speak to the government on behalf of those who are oppressed in, in Burundi but that came out of walking around the community asking to see with, with the eyes of Jesus and uh, we we um, we had a, a we've been gathering kind of people people God's been gathering people really as we've helped people in Burundi practically we've seen two communities um, emerge um, I don't know if you can call them churches but we have over 300 people that have really gathered because of a practical demonstration of, of God's love in Burundi and uh, our heart has always been to church plant we've been trying various strategies as it were nothing was really working but then we'd seen one community really encounter God through actually through regions beyond churches responding to a crisis appeal and and people were like oh God is real because we called out to him and he and he came and you know yes we did preach the gospel and we were praying for people but actually it was a practical demonstration of God's love that that opened up their hearts to God and then in our in our other community um, the, the the leaders there just sat down with us um, some months back and they said we we want to start a church because we see something different in, in you guys. And we've been sharing with them the regions beyond values. We've been sharing with them biblical foundations. And uh, so many of the community were already Christians, but very much bound in legalism. Uh, there's not much expression of New Testament Christianity in Burundi, sadly, at the moment, although we're believing that will change. But. The, the, the guys were, were just saying to us, when we said to them, I said, why, why are you asking us to, to help you? And, they, and what they said was, they said, we see something different in you. They said, normally when white people come, they come and they tell us what to do and how we should be doing things. And they said, but you've just come and loved us. And they said, you don't twist the word of God and you do what you say. 
and you know it's just like that so impacted me and often I feel I still feel now we I feel so inadequate in in Burundi we have this big call on us to see transformation in the nation and often I'm like God why did you call me this white woman and you know in this crazy crazy nation and I'm not a brave person and it's dangerous and I'm frightened of bugs and I have meltdowns over all sorts of things and and you know I wouldn't choose to call me but when they said that that day I'm like actually we get to love and we get to be genuine but I think it comes out of our hearts being moved first you know actually if we try to act because we see a need and we, I think we can get into a project mentality, and I'm not saying projects are wrong, but I don't think we, we first of all, that we see that we are here to fix problems. We, we are here to love people and to, to be part of the journey and seeing them coming into life-transforming relationship with, with Jesus, and we do that, obviously, as, as the body of Christ um, in this place. Um, now, um, let me just skip a bit, I'm running out of time. Um, one of the uh, other things that I really noticed with Nehemiah was that he recognized that the root of the problem was sin. Um, and he didn't shirk responsibility for it. In his prayer, we see that he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you, and we have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave to your servant Moses. And I just really feel that, again, there's a key in that for us, because I think in the society that we live in, in these days, one of the ugliest things that I think that we, that we see and that we get caught up in is this blame culture. And whatever we see, we're always blaming, or somebody's always blaming somebody, and they're blaming Theresa May, or they're blaming whoever it may be, and the, the government, or lack of funding, and the NHS, and this, and that, and the other, and we're judging, and we're blaming. And I think when we do that, actually our hearts are then not positioned to say, hang on a minute, God, what can I do about this? How would you use me to actually be part of the answer to this problem? It's like, what is your solution to this? Yes, there, you know, there's all sorts of issues out there, but Nehemiah had an attitude of humility and we need to have the same. And I just think we need to be careful that we don't get caught up in what's happening in, in, in our culture and that we are ready to stand against it and we're ready to say, no, I have done things that have caused consequences and, and bad things for other people too. None of us are perfect, but we have God on our side and actually he will use us to bring change in these situations, but we'll miss it if we get caught up in, in just seeing uh, that you know, everybody else is always to blame. We must keep in mind the root issues. And uh, we know very famously the, the, the verse in Ephesians 3 that talks of 
the church, that his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And, uh, and I just think, wow, God, for us here, Trinity in London, in this strategic city, in our nation, and, and in the nations of the world, actually, wow, through us, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known, that we would believe that we get to be influencers and we will get to shape policies and we will get to shape culture rather than embracing it, that we are ministers of transformation in this nation and beyond. Isn't that incredible? It's like I really feel like God wants to put that in our, in our hearts, that we really see that we are here for such purpose. Um, I just want to very briefly end with just sharing my own little journey of um, being involved in Burundi. Um, I did have some slides, but um, we can't get them to work. But another time you can see some pictures, but uh, I first went to Burundi 20 years ago. Uh, I lived there for three years. I then came back for uh, a few years. I felt God told me to come back and then God opened up the door to go back um, a number of years ago. And uh, we're now, as I say, we have these uh, communities of believers and we are involved in various different things that are seeking to lift people out of poverty, doing things in God's way. We have a um, thing called Foundations for Farming, which is based on God's way of farming. And you teach people about who God is and you teach godly principles applied to farming and you get results of at least 10 times the average amount of crops. And it's a real demonstration of, of doing things in God's way. We've seen over 60 people saved through it in, in recent months. Um, we've seen people delivered and healed at the side of the, of the field and we can't at the moment gather people um, legally in, uh, in our churches. Um, we have a milk business that um, has been running for, for many years but has now brought over 500 families out of poverty and gives benefit of milk to people in the city as a, as a source of nutrition. And uh, recently God has given us inroads into the government and big promises that actually he wants us to think nationally and it feels like a drop in the ocean. It's very small. It's, you know, it can sound good when you reel all those things off, but actually when you're there in Burundi and you're like, really God, we really, you want us to believe you for transformation and there's all this corruption and challenges every, you know, just, I mean, huge, enormous things. But, but yes, God does want us to believe for transformation and we're, we're not where we want to be in Burundi, but we are seeing God <coughs> doing stuff. But it didn't start there. And actually, my story is that I was very messed up as a child. I, you know, my mum was mentally ill. My dad that I lived with wasn't my biological father. I grew up feeling like I didn't belong. I didn't fit in. I was abused by a neighbour. My brother was in trouble with the police. Our house was being constantly raided for, for drugs. And uh, my mum would make frequent suicide attempts. Um, and it was messy. And I didn't grow up in this Christian family. Often people get really surprised and they're like, oh, I thought you must have grown up in a Christian family to go to Burundi. It's like, no, <laughs> quite the opposite. My mum did actually get saved powerfully through one of her suicide um, attempts, which, was, which is a whole nother story. But 
God got hold of me and God actually used those experiences to give me a heart for the for the marginalized and for those on the edge and through I think through my own uh, feelings helped me to be able to look out for others and and uh, I ended up going into teaching um, the highlight of my teaching career was uh, running a unit for children with complex learning difficulties I loved it I loved being with those on the edge and then God called me to Burundi to set up a school for orphan children but it's been lots of steps of obedience small steps often sometimes radical ones but most often it's a small step of obedience and 20 years ago when I went to Burundi I had no idea that we would be involved in what we're involved in now and I know that there's much much more to come and uh, when I went back in 2010 and I uh, re reconnected with people and I and I met with this man Everest who God has given this promise to of transformation I knew that God had taken me there for purpose but I didn't know what that looked like and I felt God said to me be faithful with what I put in front of you I felt like God said to me keep your eyes on me walk by the spirit and just do what I put in front of you and at that point that was raising money for cows and then somehow we ended up building this solar-powered dairy and shipping it out to Burundi and seeing families come out of poverty. And then God then spoke the next part to us, buy a piece of land. That was destroyed in a disaster. We start supporting the community. We see the beginnings of a church being born. You know, we start this foundations for, for farming and God says, has promised us that we are going to see massive food production in, in Burundi and he said you're thinking too small if you're thinking of just your communities I want you to think on a national scale and we recently met with somebody in, in government who, who uh, was helping us with an issue that we have and, and he said to us he said I want you to I, want, I love what you guys are doing he said I want you to come and influence the church in this nation and you're like what us? I'm nervous to even call what we have a church <laughs> but you know God has got bigger purposes for us than sometimes we believe and it's not us that makes it happen it's not me that makes it happen in in Burundi I've no qualifications in myself but as we lean on him and as we depend on on him we will find ourselves in positions that we would never have dreamed of you know I was in the president's palace and I was like Huh? How did this happen? You know, nine, nine years ago, I was standing on a mountaintop thinking, okay, God, I'm going to try and raise some money for some cows for Everest, you know, and let's not be put off because of the bigness or for whatever else holds us back, disqualifying ourselves. Let's be those who, like Nehemiah, will say, actually, we're going to say yes to God. I'm going to let my heart be moved and I'm going to take those small steps of obedience. I'm going to be faithful and the rest is up to God. For my part, I'm going to love him with all my heart and soul and mind and I'm going to love those around me by his spirit. Amen. Amen.